physical training, self-defense training, firearms training, situational awareness, and the warrior mindset. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast. This is a podcast. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast where we'll be talking about being ready. We'll also be speaking to victim survivors of physical encounters, how they dealt with the aftermath physically, mentally, and spiritually. All right, and welcome to the Condition One Podcast with me, your host, John Riddle. Uh, Today's guest is Mr. Gabe Cohen. Uh, Gabe is a black belt, self-defense expert, and chief instructor of American Krav Maga. He's in the business of keeping people safe. Gabe is a street fighter, a bouncer, protection, personal protection specialist, and a security professional. He earned his nickname as the Pitbull because of his aggressiveness in the real world arena. And I like this, not in the traditional martial arts dojo. Battle tested with no pads, floor mats, or referees. Gabe Cohen has learned the old school way. Having a limited background in American combat karate, a style created by a bouncer and a street fighter, Rich Barathi. Correct. Gabe, Gabe Cohen has dabbled in various martial arts throughout the years. He didn't discover Krav Maga until he was about 40 years old when he realized that he's been basically doing it for most of his life, in the philosophy section anyway. Uh, going forward, going hard, and going fast, and doing as much damage in the least amount of time as possible. He's recently trained and become a certified black belt through Rick Blitzstein, a senior black belt instructor of IKMA and the original American Krav Maga pioneer. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. Gabe Cohen to the show. Gabe, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, John, for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Most recently, this past, this past October, I uh, tested for my third black belt, uh, but first time with, with Near Mammon and his CT-707 system. Excellent, excellent, congratulations. Congratulations. Um, when the alarm goes off in the morning and you start your day, what's the first thing you do? Pray. I mean, uh, and, and by the way, my alarm is uh, my wife getting up at 4.30 to go to CrossFit. There you and, go. <laughs> and, and me staying home until she gets done with class because our eight-year-old's still sleeping. Wow. Um, but but I, I lay there and and I meditate on, uh, I try to start off with gratitude, meditate on just how blessed I am and, and the, the great things I have in my life today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, yeah, I pray to God and just uh, pray, pray protection over my family and, uh, uh, and then I, I shift my prayers to, to, to my business uh, that I'll be a good leader and a good steward with what he's blessed me with. Excellent. Yes, sir. Excellent. Excellent. So tell me about uh, how and where you grew up. How was your childhood? Oh, yeah. Um, so grew up on Long Island. I'm from New York. Okay. Um, you know, mom and dad, very, very decent, honest hardworking people. My dad sold insurance. Um, 
my mom and dad had a little antique business together. Uh, no drugs, no alcohol. I come from a reformed Jewish or what you would call reformed Jewish Judaism, I guess, was, was there. We didn't go to a temple. We didn't go to a synagogue. However, um, growing up, I went to, uh, I went to this, this kind of like a Jewish folk school, if you will. It was run by a woman who was a child in Auschwitz uh, concentration camp. Okay. She was a survivor. Her family was murdered in the Holocaust. Um, and I should note, the reason why this was important to my, to my families, my mom's parents were German Jews to escape the Holocaust. And my father's parents were Hungarian and, and Polish Jews who escaped the Holocaust. Okay. So um, they tried to teach us Yiddish, which I never, picked up okay. um you know we learned old testament bible stories and and we just you know we just learned some some basic uh truths about the holocaust and why it's important to uh remember it and never let it happen again absolutely absolutely and so yeah you know my, my mom had an anxiety disorder and so that was confusing as a kid i mean i didn't really know what was going on my grandmother had to come up and take care of me and my grandmother who's a holocaust survivor she had had her own anxiety issues. Um, so, you know, basically the home was good, but uh, started running with the wrong crowd and experimenting with drugs when I was uh, 13. And uh, um, by the time I was 15, I was using cocaine, basically addicted to cocaine, selling cocaine, and got arrested uh, for the first time for a shooting and got involved with the, the criminal justice system for the first time. And um, yeah, it just, I moved out. I dropped out of high school when I was 17. I had a good friend whose father owned a bar that kind of exposed me to the, the nightclub and the, the, the bouncing life. I was kind of the kid who uh, uh, would wait for the bouncers to get a hold of somebody and then I would kind of jump in and make like I had something to do with it right you know mm -hmm. um I wasn't I was a skinny kid uh and I always you know I always looked up to these tough guys um like I said like you mentioned Rich Barathe but the first gym I went to when I was 14 this guy Rich Barathe American Combat Karate he had a dojo within this gym and my soccer coach I played soccer as a kid uh, my soccer coach was was a New York City police officer. So I had like, I had these Coke dealers that were kind of like the wrong mentors mm -hmm. as, a, as a teen. You know, if you had a couple gold chains and a Trans Am or a Corvette, um, I thought you were cool. Uh, and at the same time, I had this really solid, moral, ethical coach who, who would share all these exciting kind of street fighting brawls that he was in, in New York City, you know? And, and um, I think in a different life, I, I would have been a police officer. I always wanted to be a cop, but then once I got involved with drugs, um, you know, I just, I went in the other direction. Okay. And, and, and learned some hard lessons, man. I'm sure you okay. got some follow-up questions to that. So, um... It says that you were a street fighter and a bouncer. We already, we already said that. Uh, how did the two help each other? And, and 
what kind well, of clubs did you work in? Sure. Um, it just started, it, it started, you know, my exposure to the, to the bouncing life and, and street fighting, you know, and, and you know, street fighting's a, a vague term, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, it could mean, you know, many different things. I wasn't out there like fighting for money or, you know, it wasn't, it was just like getting drunk, being a smart ass, having, uh, you know, have you know, when you, when, when you got, when you're 17 and you're rolling with a guy that's 23 and six foot seven on steroids, 280 pounds, and nobody will touch you in high school. Cause they know if they do, this guy's going to come after him. Mm -hmm. You get kind of cocky. And I, and that was me. I was kind of this cocky, you know, uh, so I ran my mouth a lot. Um, didn't, didn't get my ass kicked that much and not because I wasn't fighting people that couldn't kick my ass. Um, well, well, I should back up. I, I was fighting people. <laughs> I, I, you know, I picked my battles. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Rory Miller's, you know, book, mm -hmm. Meditation on Violence. And he yep. talks about the monkey dance. Yep. Like when I read, I didn't read that till I was in my forties, but when I read it, I was like, man, this guy understand, like, he just understood. I just saw like decades of my life in different layers of that book uh -huh. and how, how I evolved as, as a, as a bouncer. And then, and then uh martial artist, if you will, if you, you know, whatever category you think Krav Maga falls in, that's really what I do. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I, you know, I was just that knucklehead kid on the street getting into some scraps, nothing major. Um, but when I was 19 years old, and I should, I should back this up with when I was, so I'm in middle-class suburbia, Long Island, picking and choosing my battles, got these big guys behind me. Well, there was a huge drug bust and like the bottom got pulled out. Like guys got 25 years to life. I mean, I'm talking like along the whole East coast, like it was huge. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm addicted to crack, um, stealing stuff. I'm selling dresses out of the back of my car in Ozone Park, Jamaica, Queens, and way in over my head with people like, you know, I'm lucky I'm not dead. And basically I have an uncle in Denver, Colorado, knew what I was getting into and said, I'll send you a one-way ticket. You got to stay clean. You got to go to Narcotics Anonymous. I got a friend in the program, get a sponsor, stay sober. Um, but if you relapse, you know, tough love, you're, you're out of our house and you're on your own. By this time, uh, I burned all the bridges, like wasn't talking to my mother and father, uh, brothers, sisters, every, my uncle was the only family member in my corner. So, so now my world looks much different. I come out to Denver, I make it six weeks sober at my uncle's house, um, meet a girl, go to a party, get drunk. I don't like drinking. I want cocaine. Where do they sell crack? Somebody tells me where to get it downtown Denver. Um, and I'm off and running. I'm kicked out of their house. And for the first time in my life, 19 years old, estranged from my family, homeless on the streets um, with a big chip on my shoulder. I think I'm badass because I'm from New York, which doesn't mean shit. No matter where you're from, like all of a sudden there's gangbangers. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm just like bottom level learning how to like 
survive on the street. And, and so now we go to kind of the next level of like, you know, getting ripped off, getting my ass kicked, like really knowing what it's like to get your ass kicked and like fearing for your life. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, um, uh, you know, break it. I mean, I was breaking in the buildings just to sleep in laundry rooms and stay warm in the winter, like a cold day like today in Karak, you know, um, robbing, stealing, uh, selling dope. Uh, and that started. I petty crimes, misdemeanors, getting arrested, going in and out of the city jail. I think I was arrested over like 20, you know, 23 times, I think is the number misdemeanor wise um, from like 19, met my first wife, had a son and decided to move to the Western slope of Colorado um, to get out of the city. I tried to do the geographic thing. Like if we move here, I'll be away from downtown and everything will be different. Um, got my first job as a carpenter's apprentice. I didn't even know how to read a tape measure, man. Like didn't, didn't know what kind of tools to buy, but I, I wanted to shift gears and like go to work and, and try to provide for the wife and my son. But, you know, I'm still an addict. And so, um, yeah, it was rough. Uh, you know, I was making $13 an hour. This was back, what, 1994. And I thought that was a lot of money back then as, as a carpenter's apprentice. Um, but the cost of living up here is so high, man. And, uh, found, you know, started using, found powder cocaine up in Aspen, Colorado, where there's plenty of it. And um, yeah, by the time I was 26, I got arrested with cocaine and got my first felony conviction. Okay. And so that's a whole nother, this would be the next chapter kind of. Right. Gotcha. You know? Okay. All right. So with that charge put on you, how could you work as a bouncer? Yeah. So, so with the people you know, we're talking, you know, this is over several years and being in and out of prison and in and out of jail, you meet certain people. And uh, so I had, I had a friend in Denver that owned a bar, you know, and in a rough, in a rough neighborhood. And that's kind of like when you ask what kind of bars, like a dive bar, like, you know, not a hopping nightclub, like a place where like, I wasn't really worried about anything. Uh Um, but like the type of place where it was like old school, where we were, um, you know, where we could take people out back into the alley and the cops didn't, you know, nobody would call the cops. It was just, this is the way it was, Uh you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had certain, it wasn't like I was working for official security companies. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And by the way, I mean, I should, there's the huge, huge piece that I left out. Like I was driving strippers to bachelor parties, kind of like, you know, bodyguard really nothing you can do with 20 dudes it just was like an ego thing for me but I was putting myself in all these situations I had been collecting money for some people doing stuff like that okay uh, illegal stuff mm-hmm. basically you know so I knew certain people that would plug me into certain situations um it wasn't really you know to be quite frank I worked on and off as a bouncer in different clubs it wasn't until I started crop training in my 40s 
after going to prison seven times, okay, um, I got an escape charge. I got felony menacing. I got, uh, you know, possession. Uh, well, I've got lots of charges. I have three felony convictions. Um, and I was homeless on and off during that time in the streets, getting paroled homeless. So you, you evolve as a criminal. Sure. You evolve as you learn how to, I, my, you know, what happened to me, John, was, was my comfort, as sick as it was, and I've had plenty of therapy to get to where I am today. Um, but I've learned that that actually became my comfort zone. Like when I would get sober and try to get it, you know, get a job and try to get on my feet, I was so insecure and my self-esteem was so low. And the first barrier or obstacle, I would just go back to what I knew. Sure. Like I was comfortable being on the street. Gotcha. Like I knew, I knew how to do that. And I knew how to do it well. I knew how to survive. Um, and, and so going in and out of county jail, city jail, prison, kind of became, I just kind of accepted it as I'm going to get, you know, someone's going to kill me out here. I'm going to do life in prison or I'm going to OD, but I'm not really sure how I'm ever going to get out of this. And I'm tired of trying and I know how to survive. So that's kind of what I did, man. Okay. So it really wasn't until, you know, fast forward, got out of prison when I was 40 years old, this after the seventh, that was my seventh and last time in prison. Um, but by this time I had two sons. One was about to graduate high school up here in the mountains. And, uh, and I, I just decided that I'm going to do whatever it takes. I need to, I want to change my life. Um, I'm hanging out in the library and I discovered the words Krav Maga. And I had been lifting weights, by the way. I worked at health club during this whole time. I'm working at health clubs. So I would meet people. I would bounce at like nightclubs, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But my life wasn't really together yet. Okay. And uh, I discovered the words Krav Maga when I'm 40 uh -huh. and really wanted a connection back to my Jewish roots. By this time, by the way, I had become a Christian in prison. Okay. And, and uh, but I still, I mean, my growing up, my grandfather, my German Jewish grandfather who escaped with money sewn into his coat, who was stopped by the Nazis on a train and had fake papers, man. Yeah. He, I remember him telling me if just a bead of sweat came down his forehead when they were shining the light and I'm looking at his papers, none of us would be here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, but being that family member who was a crackhead, criminal, convict, um, when he passed away, I wasn't, in, I wasn't welcome at his funeral um, because I, I was told I'd make too many people there uncomfortable. And, and it wasn't about me, it was about him. And if I would be, at least have enough consideration not to show up, man, and that, that really hurt, you know? But, but I had done that to myself, you know? I take ownership for that. But so that had a lot to do with like, you know, just the attraction, like I wasn't, a practicing Jew. I'm, I'm a confessing Christian, but, but I love my people. I love my heritage. I love Israel. And, and so how, what can I do to kind of like become, work yeah. my way back into the connection? Tribe? Sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I felt seriously like, you know, yeah, that connection, like, like, and, and to honor, to honor my family. And, and, you know, my grandfather didn't, my, my grandparents didn't escape the Nazis to come to this country 
so their grandkid could be a crackhead running the streets mm -hmm. doing you know and sure. and and so all that it kind of the evolution of of me homeless in the library that's where homeless people hang out when it's cold reading the book and, and about the Mossad mm -hmm. and, and I discovered that words Krav Maga okay. and so now now during this time man I've diagnosed with bipolar mm -hmm. diagnosed with PTSD this is in the prison system I was on like 2,000 milligrams of lithium was, they were giving me trazodone Seroquel um, just to knock me out at night I couldn't sleep um, by this time I had been through a lot like you know stabbed shot at uh, car wrecks just everything that comes with being a knucklehead um so when i got out the last time in prison they through the prison system they put me on ssi which is social security so i would get a check they're like this guy he's never held a job it's been he's been in and out of prison the last 15 years um i'm on medicaid i'm getting a check so with that with that check like the first couple months I'm out of prison for the last time, I go down and, and take a Krav Maga class. And man, it just, it just like spoke to me, the aggression and, and the mindset. Mm -hmm. And and then and then I'm learning about Emi and his story sure. in Lichtenfeld, the founder mm -hmm. of Krav Maga. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, he escaped the Nazis, he went to Palestine, you know, and the whole, the whole uh, story okay. just like spoke to my heart. So I move up to the Western Slope, homeless, to reconnect with my two sons. One's a senior at that time. This is back 2011. Senior in high school, and my other one was a sophomore. And uh, I only took about six weeks of Krav Maga lessons at this point. I come up here, and nobody's teaching it. And I was the personal trainer for years. I was in really good shape. Um, I got a room at a hostel. I went to a duly diagnosed group twice a week. I wanted, I wanted to learn how to live without my medications. I started finding out I had some liver damage from the psych meds they were sure. putting me on, you know, I like totally that, yeah. toxic, man. Yeah. In addition, of course, to my drug abuse over mm -hmm. the years. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, so, um, yeah, I went to a two hour duly diagnosed group twice a week. Uh, I went to individual therapy. I went to church. I went to 12 step meetings and the common bond, I mean, here's dad hasn't been around for 10 years, right? So that I wanted to try to reconnect with my kids. Mm -hmm. um, they were into boxing. Okay. And they like to work out. So there was a kickboxing class in town. And so that was kind of our common bond, man. We'd meet at the gym and, and uh, great. And we started training together, you know, and, and, and then I thought if I could find an organization, um, a reputable organization. So this is where you, you start learning like, who's who and yeah. you're doing your research you know a lot of self-defense experts out there right um but i'm new to the game and and anyways i found what i thought was a reputable organization that that hosted krav maga instructor training um i had nobody up here to train with i did learn in the beginning from a book and dvds and basically it's where i met my current wife you know practiced every you know choked me and you know and just practice with my wife um that's and funny I, you yeah. said that because I met my wife the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Right. So, so um, yeah, man, uh, 
I flew. So, okay. I'm on social security. I'm just trying to set the stage, man. Mm -hmm. I'm on social security. I'm living at a hostel. I'm renting a bed for like $30 a night. I'm homeless. I got a, I'm 40 years old with a backpack and a bus pass. You know, mm -hmm. I meet this beautiful 23 year old woman. Um, I couldn't believe like she even wanted to be with me. I thought maybe she wants me to beat up an ex-boyfriend or like, I'm looking like for this angle of like, why does she want what to be you with used me? To. She saw, yeah, she saw in me what, you know, what I couldn't see. Yeah. And, and, and bless her heart, you know, they, they say behind every great man's an even better woman, right? It's the truth. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, she got pregnant. We were, we were together for three months uh -huh. and uh, we have, we've been together now nine years, but at, at the time, uh, she got pregnant and with our son, Asher, who's now, you know, eight years old. And uh, yeah, I flew, I flew out of state. Well, well, let me back up. I got the money to fly out of state because I work with the Department of Vocational Rehab. So a state run agency, because I'm on Medicaid to get a grant to buy tools to start my own construction company. And it took me like a year of like trying to write a business plan, never wrote one before, you know, got rejected, had to write. Anyways, after a year and reconnecting with my kids, I get this business plan, I get tools, I start a business as a carpenter, I get off Medicaid, I get off all my medications, praise God, and I, uh, I fly out of state and get my level one, level one Krav Maga instructor cert so I can have that piece of paper that this rec center wanted me to have in order to teach classes. And I basically started a class in the beginning just so I would have other people to train with so I could get to the next level. Sure. And, and that started you know, American Krav Maga, my business, um, GabeCohenDefense.com. And uh, back, that was 2000, started evolving 2012, really 2013, started teaching my first classes and then level two, level three, um, actually got to train with, uh, they made an exception for me where, because I'm a felon, not to go on the range and do any live fire, but I could still do the law enforcement Krav Maga instructor uh, cert training. Because I thought that would be my angle I did think about this. If I could get that law enforcement cert, I mean, who's going to hire a felon to do security work? I wanted to do security work. I, I mean, I knew I could handle myself from everything I've been through, right. um, but I needed to repackage. I needed to make a new, like a resume, but somehow use my past to benefit who, who I am today. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, by the time I was 46, uh, oh, so at that, as I'm like level two, mm -hmm. that's when I'm like, all right, I want to see if this stuff works and, and see if I can get my foot in the door. Um, and I want to be on the right side of the law. Mm -hmm. So um, I just got a job like at a local pub in town, tourist town. Um, first gig uh, within like, I'd say two hours. They were paying me to go home because they said I was too rough with the clients. Okay. And because I threw some dude in the street, some dude hit me with his cowboy hat, got in my face, threw him down. And um, I still, I was still very rough around the edges. Sure. You know? Yeah. No. So they paid me, 50, they paid me 50 bucks to go home, you know? <laughs> They're like, you got to leave. Here, here's your money. Get the fuck out of here. Excuse me. Gotcha. 
<laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, but yeah, go, yeah. Ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say from there, really, um, it, when I got to like level three, before I got my black belt, we're talking like 2014, um, they were opening this new club, a nightclub, two levels, 500 people a night every weekend, you know, um, kind of like in a, a cowboy town down the road. Okay. Literally 80 miles from my house, mm -hmm. Eight, 80 miles, not straight up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Offered me $13 an hour to work a five hour shift. Um, but with the potential to become a supervisor and I interviewed with this guy and I told him straight up, like I'm a convicted felon. Um, I'm on the other side of my past now. Uh, I'm training Krav. I just got my law enforcement cert. And this guy looked at me. This was this was huge for me, you know. And he was like, I don't, I don't give a about your past. Uh, you know, I need I need someone that'll get down because they just had this nightclub that closed for all these violations uh -huh. where where they weren't doing their job. Right. And the cops kept showing up and the liquor board pulled the license and it got shut down and this new place was opening this was a big contract for this guy mm -hmm. and uh he knew there was going to be trouble he knew all these people were going to come there and 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 we had to set the precedent right. that like you were going to get your ass kicked go to the hospital or go to jail but you were not going to do this like in this club right you know and and um and i'm like i'm your guy just give me an opportunity just give me and I, I found out he was, you know, former law enforcement um, from the East Coast, former military, and 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 he liked hiring felons because mm -hmm. uh, these guys will work one for thirteen dollars an hour. Yeah. Uh, two, you know, yeah. they, they've got yeah. some they've got some experience. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it's that fine line of like, sure. you know, you got you know, yeah. you put hands on somebody, you might be going to jail, and if you got a record. And you're a crop instructor, you know the the, the court's going to oh, look yeah. at you. On they're going to look at you a lot differently. Sure. Yeah. So That's that. Right. So from that point, um, and and let me just like straight up, like I I was fighting every weekend. So I twenty dollars in gas. I had a big, you know, I had a big GMC truck. Twenty dollars in gas to make sixty dollars a shift. So about forty dollars a night. But man, I was working hard as a carpenter, and then like looking forward to every weekend to just getting down like i would have done it for free yeah you know and i had i had the cops showing i became friends with one of the sergeants because they cops were showing up you know and uh he was like can you learn jujitsu like do you know any wrist locks like you got to stop hitting people please yeah you know and i'm like you know i knew how to like kind of bait him like get him to raise their hands yeah. first you know uh -huh. <laughs> everything's on camera you know and yeah. i started learning how to work the cameras and, and you know and sure what I can't hear you, so they'd step into me, yeah. you know, a little bit. Uh -huh. So uh, <laughs> I started learning little tricks, you know. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. So how long did you – how long right now up till today, how long did you bounce? Yeah. You mean like from like when I started as yeah. a kid? Like mm -hmm. just being – I mean, I mean, I've been in the bars since I was 17. And by the way, I mean, I, I, I respectfully, I tap, I tapped out a couple of years ago. I tapped out basically in 2000, 2018 when I, when I started my ministry work and, okay. and, uh, 
Yeah. And now and we can we can get to that if we have time. Sure. But, um, Make the time. Definitely. I yeah, like to talk to you about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I uh, so, you know, I went. But the goal was so Grand Junction from where I live, okay. Grand Junction's 80 miles this way. Uh -huh. That was kind of like honky tonk, you know, rodeo cowboy, you yeah. know, town where we were brawling every weekend. Um, but I put in the work. I became a supervisor. I mean, we had armed guards. I wore a bulletproof vest every night at work. I mean, there were shootings down there. Um, but I was in, I was the inside guy. I couldn't carry a firearm, but he made me a supervisor. Okay. And then um, I moved to Colorado Springs. He offered me a, a job and a raise. Um, so on one block, big military town, uh, Fort Carson, one of the largest right. military bases in the country. In Springs? Yeah, Colorado yeah. Springs. Mm -hmm. And then and then and they have gang issues and you know, these guys get paid. Uh so this he had the contract on five clubs on one street. At two in the morning, there'd be like two thousand people in the street. We'd be like doing crowd control, helping run into one fight, breaking up a fight down here and then running down here. And um so that's really where when uh they started calling me the pit bull because I wasn't, I'm not the biggest guy, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I was all about just like making sure I didn't get hit first and then, and then, and then backing it up, you know? Yeah. There you go. And so, um, yeah, I moved to Colorado Springs. I worked there. Um, it got crazy, man. Like, like I worked one gig was at a reggae bar where they had like five shootings in just a couple months in the parking lot. And they wanted me to work the door with an armed guy. Um, and we had a car backed up to the door that had like assault rifles and stuff in the trunk in case shit got crazy. But that's just insane for me to be working an armed post unarmed. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. But I wanted right. to pay my dues because my, my goal, I'm sharing all this because my goal was to get up to Aspen, Colorado, which is 40 miles in the other direction mm -hmm. from where I'm at, I live today, mm -hmm. um, where celebrities go and where, you know, and I wanted to get into like high-end protection work, but didn't really know how, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and I just figured if I could pay my dues and kind of create this res resume of like, you know, work in these clubs and as a supervisor, despite my record, that somebody might give me a shot up there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, man, I, I uh, so some guy actually rented a club, hired Snoop Dogg and Nelly to come to his 40th birthday party. Um, and they needed somebody to work Snoop Dogg's table. And somehow they got my phone number and they were like, oh, you want Gabe to be at that table. Like he had his own bodyguards. Yeah. I kind of was like, I kind of was like the, the, uh, what they call cannon fodder, you yeah. know, like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I mean, there was just shit ton of people. Yeah. And I was kind of like the guy in front of his entourage yeah. and his bodyguards, <laughs> but it put me on the map, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I took it, you know, I signed up for it. And and from there, you know, when celebrities and, and rap stars and stuff came to town, um, I was that guy. Okay. Did you ever, did you get any formal training in uh, protection work? Like, like, um, I guess, the, I guess the short answer, the short answer is no. Um, I did get accepted to one, uh, you know, EP school, uh, 
they they were willing to make the exception as well that I wouldn't do any firearm training, but uh -huh. I could do all the online stuff. Um, uh -huh. But just to be transparent, I never followed through with it. Uh -huh. um, I did do. I can't. I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna share. I'm not gonna share. Uh, I've had some training. Okay. But I can't really talk about it. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so. You were learning Krav Maga here and there. So when did your first formal classes start? Like as far as me teaching or me like learning getting my as a student as a student. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, it, it started when I, you know, like I said, I took six weeks of classes when I was 40, 41. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, progressed i straight up i mean i i went with the united states krav maga association i'm not really in i've had a falling out with them mm -hmm. um i don't want to get into politics and egos and all that yeah. but um you know when i started my own logo i wanted to work for them they weren't putting any bread on my table and i started getting hits to come teach and so in 2016 um i got uh my black belt with them and somebody invited me to go teach in Argentina and I created this logo and I went to Argentina. They couldn't afford, they couldn't, they couldn't afford to, to pay me. They couldn't afford to put me in a hotel room. They, they saved for like six months to get enough money just to pay for the, I said, just get me there. I'll sleep on your floor, whatever it takes. And um, I did, I stayed at his mother's house and we did four days of instructor training. They wanted to learn. And then um, I did a weapons defense seminar in Buenos Aires. We had like over 35 people there. And uh, they actually inducted me into their martial arts hall of fame down there. Wow. It was just super exciting. I'd never been outside this country. Wow. And, and by the way, wow. my, my host didn't speak English and I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> And so we, we found a translator on the train while I was down there, um, but we were communicating. I had somebody up here translate in Spanish on faith, all on Facebook messenger, man. Wow. It was wow. an awesome, awesome adventure that kind of put me on the map, like in the Facebook, you know, like mm -hmm. getting connections. I started my uh, Israeli Krav Maga Aspen group Facebook page. You can go there. Mm -hmm. We got over 3000 members, American Krav Maga Facebook page. And then I'm a admin on the Krav Maga practitioners page where there's over, I think 12,000 members at this point. Nice. Um, so I just started, you know, just blasting my stuff out there. And then from there, um, started doing like affiliation and not, not where you have to pay monthly dues, just really a license to use my logo mm -hmm. and like, you know, what I was selling was, um, cause this all started in my backyard in this rural little mountain town. Right. Uh -huh. And so what I, I was part of an organization where I had to pay several hundred dollars in monthly dues just to use their name. And you know what, like in my opinion and in my experience, nobody, nobody up here even knows who they are. Like, it wasn't like they were getting me any more business. Right. All people really care about is, is like who's, you know, for the most part, until they start getting educated, is who's 15 miles from their house, Yeah. right? Like, I want to take a class, Right. you know, the guy says he can do X, Y, and Z, you know, let's see if we like it, right? Right. So I started realizing that, like, a groin kick in Newcastle, Colorado is a groin kick in Israel, right? Uh -huh. So, um, so I started putting videos 
out there of like, I'm a three-time convicted felon. I've been to prison seven times. I'm a bouncer. I just got my black belt. I can teach you how to teach Krav Maga. Um, if you're interested, if you got some experience, um, share with me your experience, your desire. I'm doing this in my backyard. I started at a community center. I've never leased my own building, man. I've, I've done it at CrossFit gyms. I've done it at community college. I've done it in churches. I've done it at the park. I've done it dropping in my, in my backyard. I mean, and I just started putting it out there. And, and then, you know, there's people out there that are like, yeah, I was part of this organization and I just can't afford $500 a month affiliation dues. I just can't afford, but, but I love to teach and, and I can't afford the rent. And I'd only have like a handful of students. And I was like, do it in your garage, do it in your backyard. And then people started flying me to their locations. And um, yeah, I wound up getting like over a dozen affiliates. A guy came down from Alaska. I've been to New York, California. Montana, um, we, we, I met some, it's just really just this whole community of people, um, American Krav Maga just kind of took off this little subculture. Um, and it's funny, some of the bigger, you know, without naming any names, like I started catching a lot of flack in the beginning, like, who's this guy, you know, never been to Israel, doesn't know, you know, and, and I'm like, they started, I, I, I like this term, actually. Somebody called me an industry disruptor. <laughs> and I like that, you know? Because it's like, you don't have a monopoly on nothing, man. Right. You know, I'm just, I'm just a guy. Hmm. And, and I, I like to think I'm humble about it. Like, I, hmm. I've never been in the military. I'm not a cop. Hmm. But I've been in a lot of, real, you've got, I've seen you've, a lot of real world violence. Yeah, yeah. And that's I've been to prison yeah. seven times. Hmm. I do have a Jewish lab last name i mean mm -hmm. if you know anything about prison it's pretty segregated mm -hmm. you know yeah and so you know i've been there and so uh yeah uh and then you know i just started and then and then i had a couple like security companies guys who own the companies following me on facebook and then like cops like one of my one of the second black belts that i have awarded american krav maga who's now become a good friend. Um, uh, he's with the organized crime gang unit in Chicago, Chicago PD, man. Mm -hmm. And like, just to have a guy like that, like want to just, just say, Hey, I really dig what you've been doing. I've been watching you for years. It's pretty cool. Don't listen to the haters. Right. You know? And, and um, yeah, I've been a guest instructor. I'm a guest instructor here at the local law enforcement Academy now doing I mean, to have a guy like Mir invite me to go test black belt with him. I That's mean, great. such an honor, man. Such yeah. an honor. You know, humbled. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I, I, I published this Pitbull Bouncer in uh, 2018. Um, definitely not going to win any New York Times bestseller uh, <laughs> awards. But, uh, but yeah, but definitely good for the guy getting into security that wants to learn from my experience and the site psychological mindset and uh yeah so it's available on amazon by the way perfect perfect good for Thank you man you. so tell me about kings and priests yeah so okay so um, you've you've come from from here and you started making your way across the line into a whole different world right yeah so tell me how did so that I, develop Sure. I kind of lost you there for a second. Yeah, I got you back. John? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Good. 
good. It's it's probably sometimes it's kind of shoddy up here, and it is snowing and overcast. So yeah, no worries. Man. Um, uh, yeah, great question. So interesting. The evolution of that was, you know, I really felt, and and now we're going to talk about without without having church, um, just like my spiritual experience of. I really felt like I was led by God um, to start American Krav Maga. And, um, you know, I've never, I've been a small business owner, but I'm still kind of a meathead. You know, I don't have a formal education and, and uh, was really trying hard to like harness American Krav Maga. And, and I was really focused on chasing the money. Like, 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 you know, I'm trying to make a living doing this, sure. you know, I like hated to be on and straight up. I, uh, I did construction. Great great way to make a living, honest living, commendable job. Um, but I hated it. Like I, like, I just felt like that wasn't my calling. I wasn't really into it, mm-hmm. but I did it because it paid the bills. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm bouncing, I'm doing construction. I'm teaching Krav Maga. I'm working like 60, 70 hours a week, you know? Um, and wasn't really making any money teaching Krav Maga. And I had a couple opportunities to move to some big cities uh, where people, maybe we can kind of like harness this into like, you know, a formal brand or franchise in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but me and my, we really, you know, we wait, we went, we went to Florida, we talked to some people in a couple other states and just decided that we really like, I live in an old miners town I mean, you could see the wood stove behind me. I mm-hmm. live in an old miner's cabin. This house was built in 1896. Wow. It was just a three-room house. I've been blessed to, we've built two, two additional bedrooms and a full bath back a couple years ago, you know, and we just decided we wanted to stay here. And so trying to eke out a living, selling self-defense in a rural mountain community um, where there's, I mean, there's still crime, but mm-hmm. it's not high crime. Right. Um, I started getting depressed, man. And I started feeling kind of empty and drained and started having conversations with people. I was helping people along the way, like in 12 step programs, church groups, sharing my experience and my testimony. And uh, I had an opportunity, uh, uh, a mentor of mine, uh, a pastor, um, he was, a, he was doing Bible studies in the local County jail. And he said, you should apply and volunteer and go in there and, and, and share your story with guys. Let them know that, you know, you didn't change your life till you were 40 and it's never too late. And, um, you started your own business. You're internationally recognized, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, and so, um, I filled out an application in, in 2018 and, and they accepted it. And, uh, now, at this time, and I'm going to be transparent, uh, John, it's, it's all part of my testimony and my story. I'm working in nightclubs. I'm go- I just got accepted into the jail to do Bible study. Um, and I was functioning, what they call in, a, in, in addiction and recovery, functionally using. I started drinking again. I started doing cocaine in 2018. Um, I thought like, like I could, I mean, I, 
my life wasn't falling apart. Um, and I was depressed. Uh, I'm not, I guess these are all excuses. Bottom line, I'm still an addict. And so I have that, I, I started using and one night my kidney shut down. I got rhabdomyolysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I came home. I didn't know what was going on. I started puking for like two days straight and my back hurt. And I'm trying to figure out like, like, did I do deadlifts? Like, why does my back hurt? You know? And, and I, I just wasn't, I was feeling off. Like I never felt like that before. Hmm. And I'd been hospitalized before because of my addiction. And, but I never felt like that. And I went to the doctor, they took my blood pressure and it was like over 200. They're like, you're about to stroke out, man. You better, you better go to the emergency room. I went to the emergency room. This is 2018, literally two weeks, two weeks after my application got accepted at the sheriff's department Hmm. to go into the jail as a volunteer. They put me in an ambulance. I don't even remember the ambulance ride. They put me under, I guess. Um, and I was in the hospital for six days. I had my kidney uh, function shut down. And they're like, you know, from cocaine toxicity, I guess. My, my body just kind of gave out. They're like, we just, you can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. You're done. And, and um, you know, I, I do have a relationship with my two older sons. I have three granddaughters. I just spent Christmas with them all. Um, and, and my current wife and my, my eight-year-old and, and, uh, and my, yeah, of course my wife was just like, why do you do like, like, why are you doing this? And, and um, like, you, you know, don't do this to us. And, and uh, the writing for me was on the wall of like, you can't be on both sides of the fence, man. God, God basically was telling me, you know, next, you know, next, next time could be death. Like, this is it, man. Do you want to live or do you want to die? And if you want to live, you need to live for me. Right. You know, stop chasing the money. Go out there and help people. And so it just kind of had this like revelation of this is what I'm called to do. And it, it, you know, I went back. I actually went to Alcoholics Anonymous when I got out of the hospital. I'm not, I don't consider myself alcoholic, but there was a 12-step meeting in town at noon that worked for me. And I found a 70-year-old guy that, that had 40 years of sobriety. He was a Christian guy, too. And, and um, he really helped me just, like, find my calling. And I started going in the jail. I didn't tell them that I relapsed because I didn't want to blow the opportunity. I didn't want to have to wait another year before they would let me in. Mm-hmm. So I kind of kept it under wraps for a couple of months. And... Um, and then I told the, the volunteer coordinator why I was, I told her I was in the hospital because I had rhabdomyolysis, but I didn't tell her what it was from. Gotcha. You know? Mm-hmm. And so I finally came transparent with her and she's like, oh, I, you know, she was happy. I told her the truth, but I, but I told her, cause I want to share this with the guys, like, cause people relapse and like they implode because of the relapse. And it's like, you got to brush your shoulder off and you got to move on. Like it's not over till it's over. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I started, I was in the jail on two hours on Friday mornings. And so I couldn't work a full-time job because of that, um, because I wanted Fridays off. And so I was kind of just eking by financially. Um, but then I got into a second county jail, 40 miles from my house, Eagle County Jail. Two hours in there, it took me an hour to get there, an hour to get back. So that's, so now there's two days a week I can't work. Then I started volunteering at the parole department. So I was volunteering for like the last 
from 2018 to 2020. And then I got an opportunity. I became friends with the parole manager for the entire Western slope of Colorado. And he's, and they needed, they didn't have a treatment provider for the felons getting out of prison to teach the classes. So I started a business. I started as a treatment provider for the parole department. Um, and then I just, then I discovered this amazing model through the Recovery Cafe Network, a Seattle-based organization, which is basically a recovery community center. Um, and they have a membership model where we have recovery meetings, just anybody who suffered any kind of trauma. It's not just for addiction, homelessness, uh, mental health challenges, uh, domestic violence. Um, there's like nothing. Resources are very limited in this rural community. And I remember when I was homeless, there was one place on the street that had really comfortable chairs. I remember being out all night, freezing my ass off, and I would wait for this place to open just so I could have a decent hot meal. They treated you decently. They had a good clothing closet where I could get clean clothes. And I thought I'd like to reproduce that place in my community. And um, yeah, to just it hasn't even been a year. We opened our doors. It's called Discovery Cafe. If you go to discoverycafe.org. Been there. Um, yeah, Discovery yeah. Cafe, we opened February 22nd, and um, I've gotten grant money from several funders. I've gotten donations. We've opened a second location, 48 miles in another direction, and most recently, my program just got accepted into the Colorado Department of Corrections, and I start in the prison. I've actually started in the prison already this month. Congratulations, man. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, so that's yeah. that falls under the umbrella of kings and priests ministry and you know i i like to share with people that um if you're feeling called to be of service if you want you know i had family members i had some pressure of like you know why are you volunteering you're like you need to get a job you know you have a family you know right. and, and i'm like you don't understand this is helping me feel good about me this is helping me stay sober this is helping me take care of my family mm -hmm. i can get a job but if i relapse again i might be dead like this is part of my recovery sure and so you know i went from making no money under kings and priest ministry to saying i want to make i can do this recovery community center you know for 500 dollars a week let's say um, and I wrote it into a grant and I got it. And then I got another grant and then I got a board of directors and I said, well, can I make this much? And then they were like, they had to approve it. And yeah, I basically just created a job for myself, man. So that's great. Things are good today. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good for you, man. It's great. And to I'm hear. still doing, and you're still, still training. Now I, yeah, I went from $10, you know, dropping in my backyard. Now I, you know, 12 sessions, $1,200 money up front that's the only way you're going to get me to come to your house good for you that's it man yeah, yeah. keep pressing that i mean i don't have that many clients i don't it's have right. any clients you will but you I will to, i don't have that much time but it'll it, well, it takes time to pay me i'll show up yeah it takes time uh you know it just i remember when i opened up this place uh and i trained law enforcement i was an instructor in the military i was instructor in law enforcement I was in the martial arts wow. most of my life, uh, and people knew me around the country in law enforcement training. And then when I opened up this place, opened up the doors, 
mats were out, bags were hanging. Me and my wife, we sat over there. It was before we got married. We sat over there in the chair like this. It was crickets, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just, it yeah. doesn't come right away, but it will slowly start to go. So, I mean, you know, keep doing what you're doing, man. I mean, you're, you're right on. And it's just going to, it's just going to take. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for your, uh, and thank you for your service. I didn't know your uh -huh. military background as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I did six years. So it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, but as far as, far as, as you're concerned with what you're doing there, man, uh, keep pressing forward, you know, uh, you'll get more people, more people are going to come and it, it's just a matter of, of, like you said, you're in a rural area there, you know, so. It, well, consistency. It, yes, exactly. You know, um, yeah, there's something to be said about just being steadfast and showing up, right? Yep. Day in and day out. Absolutely. Like he's like, you, you know, you got to have the doors open. You got to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and um, no, I actually, John, I just had a guy last month at, before the holiday. This was actually, it was my Christmas money to go visit my, my sons and granddaughters in Las Vegas. Um, you know, just bought his first handgun. And he Googled, he's always wanted to do Krav Maga. And he did think like, like, can I keep somebody from taking this gun from me? Like he had no hand to hand skills. Yeah. And he called me up, you know, a guy, a guy up, up in Aspen who, who has money. And, uh, and yeah. And I trained him. I did uh, three, four hour sessions in his living room with him on weapon retention and, there you go. and uh, some hand to hand stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great stuff. All right, man. Uh, Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it was it was great talking to you. Uh, I've always wanted to reach out to you and talk to you. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've been watching your stuff for years, man. Shoot. I've always I've always followed you, man. I've seen your stuff. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I follow you. Uh, we both have somebody in common uh, with Nier, uh, and I had Nier on. Yeah, I had. I, yeah, he is. I had him on uh, a while back. He was a big hit uh, on on the podcast. And I got to reach out to him again. I got I to get off the, uh, the bench and, and reach out to him again, get, get myself going again, you know. So, uh, but I want to thank well, you for. He yeah, he told me to tell you hello, man. Yeah, good. I'll reach out to him this week. But I want to thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was great having you. And, uh, thank I'll, you. I'll be, yeah, you bet. And I'll be in touch with you, man. All right? All right. God bless you, All man. All right, buddy. Be safe. Same to you. Take care. Bye-bye.